You know, it's been well said. If somebody asks, are you a Christian? Maybe the best response is you should probably ask the people that know me best because, uh, you know, it's how we impact other people in our walk in Christ or whether we impact other people that comes forth as fruit produced from truly following Christ. And I'm going to share some examples of some pretty big giants of the faith here today and let their standard kind of raise our standard. But I'll share some things from people that knew them and we can glean from their lives some principles of what it really means to follow after Jesus. You know, there's a familiar story. I know we all know here, Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. I want to focus just on, on one sentence here. But the account tells us, the disciples said to Jesus, this is a remote place. It's very late. Send the people away to find something to eat. And Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. And, and then we know they say that's impossible. And then he says, how much food do you have? And of course, they say five loaves, two fish. The main thing we're going to look at, though, is that statement there when Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Wayne Lawson puts it well. Jesus tells us to give them something to eat. He knows we have resources we don't yet realize when the hungry come looking for a bit to eat, when the grieving come looking for understanding and reassurance, the lost looking for new direction, the weak come looking for strength, the resentful come looking for answers. When the afraid come looking for courage, the addicted come looking for freedom, the hopeless come looking for hope, it's up to us to remember the words of Jesus. You give them something to eat. You know, when we see needs arise around us, it, it's for us to show that Christ working through us, that we, we meet those needs because that's what we're called to do. But it only happens if we're living in authentic faith. Let me give you an example of that. This is Thomas Andrew, a doctor in New Hampshire, a pathologist. He decided he wanted to give people something to eat. And New Hampshire, surprisingly, has the highest percent-wise of deadly overdoses. And so he's a pathologist, and he's seen all of this death. And he says, his quote, I found it impossible not to ponder the spiritual dimension of these, of these events for the deceased and especially those left behind. So he resigns his position as the doctor. He's gone to seminary now to, to be ordained to be a minister, to reach out to people when they're in that hopeless place. Again, it's a, it's a spiritual dimension. That applies to every place in life. And so for you and I as well, if somebody has a need that we speak to that need, we meet that need. I'll give you something here from uh, William Carey, a great statement for each of us kind of to take hold of today. William Carey, the father of modern missions, he went to places other people would not go. But listen to this quote. He said, I will go down into the dark hole of heathenism but you must hold the ropes for me. What he meant by that, you hold the ropes for me, is that there was a need for missionaries to have financial support, prayer support, encouragement, packages, letters. And so each of us, you know, maybe we don't feel a call to leave our current job and start a new ministry, but we're all called to Hold the ropes, you know, hold the ropes for others. It may just be a word of encouragement. It may be your presence on Sunday morning. It may be wisdom you share. It might be something material that you provide for somebody. But we're here to hold the ropes 
give you something here from Jeremiah Burroughs, a Puritan preacher from the 1600s. What he's going to say here is a way to, to begin to gauge life spiritually, where you are, and take your spiritual temperature, so to speak. And he's not saying anything that hasn't been said now for 2,000 years that we've shared many times. But here's somebody 400 years ago talking about how do you walk in this spiritual life and follow Christ? How do you let Jesus be Lord of all? Here's what he says. Number one, avoid murmuring. He says there's more evil in murmuring than you are aware of. Murmuring, not a term that we really use today, but to murmur means to complain against God if things don't go the way we wanted them to go. We've all seen you know, videos uh, on you know, TV where people at a restaurant that runs out of the food they wanted or they don't like how they were treated by the person behind the counter and suddenly there's a physical altercation. You know, we live in this culture where patience is, is so rare, kindness becoming the same. Murmuring, the complaining, the I wanted, I want, it's me. Jeremiah Burroughs says, first thing to do is get rid of that. We can all take our spiritual temperature and say, how much murmuring, how much complaining do I do? He goes on next and says, very simply, you want to live in Christ differently? He says, follow this and take your temperature here as well. He says, number one, see the greatness of your sin. Two, see the greatness of Christ. Three, turn towards Christ. Fourth, be obedient to his call. And last, make a covenant with God to follow him. That covenant, it's not you know, a simple agreement. It's not a weak need commitment. A covenant means a contract. Turn away from sin, turn to Christ, follow him, and make a covenant, a contract with God that says, you know, where you lead, I will follow, and I will at least hold the ropes for somebody. Listen to Charles Spurgeon who said it like this, I have a great need for Christ. I have a great Christ for my need. That's why it's so important to listen to saints down through the ages as well as the the scriptures, the living word, to stop and say, here's what it means and looks like to, to live sold out to the King of Kings. Give me another example. February 2000, Kurt Warner, quarterback, St. Louis Rams, throws the winning touchdown. Big celebration. That's what happened after that, though. The interviewer came up and, and said to Kurt Warner, Kurt, first things first, tell me about that final touchdown pass. To Kurt responded, first things first. I've got to thank my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. But then he did something else. He and his wife then started a charity called First Things First to reach out and help people in need. Left football to pour his hearts into people that he could help. That's what it is to step out and you give them something to eat. Read a fascinating article, a fact about the sun. In one second, how much energy do you think the, the sun generates 
in a way that it could power all the industry on earth. One second of the sun, how much energy to power the energy needs of earth do you think it produces? Here's the incredible thing. In one second, the sun generates enough energy to fuel the earth's industries for half a million years. One second, enough energy for half a million years. That's why in scripture you find things that say, you know, consider the moon, the stars, the sun. And think about behind how incredible that is, is the creator where there's no comparison. We're told that Jesus Christ is the one that created all things. You think about the power of the sun. Think about 1 John 1, 5 that says God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. The sun doesn't even compare to the radiance of God's glory. In him, there's no light. there is light. There is no darkness at all. That's why, again, we want to stop and have the, the reverence for our calling, our life in him. When Jesus says, you give them something to eat, we don't have a, a weak-kneed commitment. We say, you know what? Here I am, Lord. Send me. You know, Charles Spurgeon said it like this, we write Jesus' name up on our banner, for it is hell's terror, heaven's delight, and earth's hope. This is the forbidden city in China, constructed in the 1400s. Incredible architectural feat. Think about this, took a million people to construct this palace and the grounds around it. On the grounds, the emperor had a hundred thousand servants to meet every whim and need. If they saw the emperor, the forbidden city was built so he could be in seclusion and rarely one of the servants might cross paths. And if they did, they had to bow to the ground touched their forehead to the ground nine times to show the reverence for the one that they said was divine. Of course, that emperor is no more, but let me share something John Wesley stated. This is becoming one of my favorite quotes here, but John Wesley in the 1700s, he met a king similar in power to this emperor. He journaled about that meeting, and, and when he saw the king, the king was very ill, and he's weak, and he's coughing, can barely get out of bed. Wesley himself was hardly impressed, and here's what he had to say about that day. What a bobble is human greatness. What a bobble is human greatness. A bobble, if you don't know that term, it means a, a cheap, showy trinket. What a bobble. All the people seeking to be in control and to get a position and a title and to use others. What a bobble. Isaiah 57, 20 to 21 explains a lot of that bobble. The wicked are like a tossing sea. It cannot be quiet. Its waters toss up mire and dirt. There's no peace, says my God, for the wicked. The wicked are like a tossing sea. 
cannot be quiet. If you've been to the ocean, especially at night when the crowds are not there and all that, that white noise in the background is you know much less than in the daytime, you'll understand how loud the ocean really is. The crashing of the waves, it's just, it's so much noise and the, and the churning of the water. There's so much just uh, violent movement there. Beautiful to behold, but as Isaiah says, that's like the wicked. They're tossing like the sea. They can't be quiet. As Andrew Davis says, this churning discontentment of unbelievers explains a lot of the terrible things that happen on planet Earth. Powerful rulers, discontent with the size of their domains, move out in greedy and violent conquest and destruction. Every crime comes from discontent people willing to destroy other people's lives to get what their restless souls are demanding. Every marriage that ends in divorce begins that tragic journey in hearts of discontentment. So the key for us is to find our complete life and fulfillment and contentment in Christ who says, you want to know fulfillment, then fulfill the calling you give them something to eat. Do something to make the world a better place by letting your light so shine. So again, as I said at the beginning, if somebody says, are you a Christian? Maybe the best answer has been shared before. Ask those who know me best. So let's talk about Jonathan Edwards, especially here men, listen to this, the married men. His wife, Sarah Edwards, when he dies, writes a letter, and John Edwards died 1758, used by God, considered the greatest theologian since the New Testament times. President of Princeton used to preach during the Great Awakening. Sarah Edwards writes to their daughter, Esther, at the death of Jonathan Edwards. Listen to what she had to say about her husband. Think about people that play church and act differently outside the walls. What was this man really like? Here's his wife. My very dear child, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness that we had him so long. But my God lives and has my heart. Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We are all given to God, and there I am and love to be your ever-affectionate mother, Sarah Edwards. Pretty amazing. My God lives and he has my heart. Notice the closeness of the family as she says, My husband, your father. That's the impact that's left by somebody that lives out what they proclaim on Sunday morning. They live it out all week long. It's not a show. Here's the doctor of Jonathan Edwards, Dr. Shippen. Also made a journal entry. Never did any mortal man more fully and clearly evidence the sincerity of his profession He had one continued universal, calm, cheerful resignation and patient submission to the divine will through every stage of his disease. Never did any person expire with more perfect freedom from pain, not so much as a distorted hair. Death had certainly lost its sting as to him. 
is a great place to start if you want to move away from murmuring and step into that light of God's love in him. He is light. There's no darkness at all. Great thing here from Andrew Davis. You know, he comes up with a, a great thing to do here. My wife and I did this. It's simply called 100 Things. You want to complete this in about 5 to 10 minutes, just kind of rapid fire. It's great to do, though. Make sure you're in a good mood to do it. If you're going to do it with somebody else, you know, still 100 things. You just divide evenly between how many of you there are. If you're husband and wife, do 50 each together, you know, but uh, you just rapidly do it. 100 things you're grateful for. Doesn't have to all be big things. You know, you can start with the, the big things like uh, family and name each person. But, you know, you move on from there to any other thing. Could be mashed potatoes, you know, the, the grass that's green, whatever it is. But uh, come up with a hundred things. You can do it by yourself or with others. But again, it's about how we start to consciously choose to focus and say, I'm grateful, God, for this. C.S. Lewis said, everyone feels benevolent if nothing happens to be annoying him at the moment. You know, Jesus would say it like this, you know, if you love those who love you, so does everybody else. It's when we do the things that are hard. It's when we do the things that are inconvenient. That's when it matters. A standard that says, I, I want to leave a legacy impact this world for Christ, even if I'm just holding the ropes until I see exactly where God is directing me to go. Consider the next example, Felicitas, 150 AD. Believer in Christ, she was called to sacrifice to the Roman gods. She refused. Interestingly, in Rome, the Christians were considered atheists because they wouldn't worship the Roman gods. She said, I, I serve one, Christ. They said, recant or die. And she said, she wouldn't recant. So they brought in seven family members, said, your family will pay. They were all believers too. They all said, we refuse to recant. She said, I have one request. Let me die last. Because she wanted to encourage each of them, her sons or daughters, in their last moments. And her words echo through time that she said to the executioner, while I live, I shall defeat you. And if you kill me in my death, I shall defeat you all the more. She's done that very thing now. 1,800 plus years, people have turned back to her story when they face their own mountains and say, she endured it. She served the same Christ I serve. I can face what is before me. So let me share two more giants here. John Wesley, theologian, started the Methodist Church, hymn writer. It was January 25th, 1736. He's not a believer. He's on a, he's on a boat. There's a hurricane that arises. He journals about what happens because there's two groups of people on this boat. One, a group of Christians singing songs. And another, he calls the English Here's what he writes when the hurricane hits. They were in the midst of a song when the sea broke over, split the main sail in pieces, covered the ship, 
and poured in between the decks as if a great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. The Christians calmly sang on. When it was over, I asked one of them, were you not afraid? He said, I thank God, no. I asked, but were not your women and children afraid? He replied, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. From there, I went to the crying, trembling neighbors, pointed out to them the difference in the hour of trial between those that feared God and those that feared him not. At 12, the wind did fall. This was the most glorious day which I have ever seen. It was after that he gave his life to Christ. You know, Romans 6, 6 says it like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That statement there, brought to nothing, could be translated as rendered powerless. I love this. Could be rendered starved to death. In our crucified life, we starve sin to death. If sin has got its hold on you to break it, you need to starve it to death. You need to begin to feed that spiritual life, feed your faith, starve that sin. And when you starve it to death, it's no longer got a hold. Stop feeding that sin with where you go, what you do, what you say, what you think, who you associate with. And begin to starve that sin so that your life in Christ will be living in that place that Spurgeon said, I have a great need for Christ. I have a great Christ for my need. We close with John Wesley, excuse me, John Newton, singer of Amazing Grace, March 21st, 1748. Similar story as Wesley, John Newton was on a boat, a storm arises, people are panicked, other sailors grab the ropes to try to get the sail. Wesley reaches out to grab hold of the sail in the midst of the storm. The captain says, you, go grab that knife over there, points at another man, says, you grab the sail. Wesley steps aside. A wave washes over and takes that man who moved into his place. That man was washed overboard, never seen again. Wesley, a slave trader, a violent man, angry person, filled with rage. But that wave in that moment, that was when his life changed. Turned away from slave trading, lost his rage because he... Surrendered his life to Christ. We'll go on. Now you understand a little bit more. The words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Here's what Newton did. Again, we take our lessons from Scripture, from Christ himself. We also learn from those giants in history. Here's what Newton did. March 21st, the day of that wave when he was saved, that wretch, every year on the anniversary, March 21st, for 50 years, he set aside that day for fasting and prayer. Maybe there's some dates we need to set aside and remember. Remember God's grace. Remember God's glory. Remember God's calling. Thank God for the rest we have in Christ. Let's go forth in him. We write Jesus' name upon our banner 
It is hell's terror, heaven's delight, and there is hope.